Why is Jesus the Isn't only the Bible full of contradictions? What about those who have never heard of God? Don't all religions basically change the same thing? Are there answers to these questions? questions? Well, as Lori has already welcomed you, uh, my name is Brian as well, and, well, not as well, obviously my name is different, but uh, I would like to welcome you as well, uh, as I have the privilege to be one of the pastors here, and our, our senior pastor, Wayne, um, uh, you may or may not know this about him, but uh, after last weekend, he is, um, he's an avid Cardinals fan, and so I wanted to make sure that those Cubs fans had the opportunity to address Wayne personally and say to him that, um, Wayne? Now, I understand being a baseball fan, but to not show your face in church (laughs) over the loss of a baseball game? I don't know. Well, no, I'm kidding. He's actually, uh, he and Les are on vacation. They're uh, due back next weekend, but he is committed uh, to be, uh, starting as of yesterday, to be a Cubs fan through what we're hoping will be the end of October um, here. So we'll, we'll, we'll take him, I guess. But uh, in the meantime, we'll look forward to have him next weekend. Uh, as long, along with, uh, we have a special guest, a uh, lady by the name of Gail McWilliams, who was um, our speaker at the uh, New Life Pregnancy uh, Banquet, where uh, she's going to come and share her story, where when it comes to this series of what we believe and what we doubt, actually gave her sight, uh, lost her vision uh, in the name of what she believes. And so we'll look forward to hearing her story as a part of our services uh, next week. Uh, but as far as today, as we uh, look through, again, our doubts and our beliefs when it comes to our faith, uh, I invite you to go ahead and turn to the book of John chapter 14. Uh, as we do that uh, today, as we, uh, we wrap up this series that we've been working through. And as you do that, uh, I would suspect that uh, driving around town, uh, you may have seen this bumper sticker before. Uh, it simply says this, uh, coexist. And I'm curious, what is your response uh, to that bumper sticker that uh, it, its proclamation is that uh, essentially that Judaism, Islam, Christianity, and, and just the world religions in general should uh, coexist. Is your response to that bumper sticker, is it, is it negative? Is it positive? Uh, maybe it's mixed. Maybe it's somewhere in between. Maybe you're just confused and not really sure how to respond. Well, for me, I would say it's a mixed response, all depending on, you could say, the implications that the bumper sticker uh, is suggesting. And that if it means that we should be able to, say, get along and better cooperate across various viewpoints, well then, well then yes, I think we'd be hard-pressed to be against such an effort, uh, especially in our current day with ISIS and Al-Qaeda and uh, just radical you know, expressions of religion, and as we just consider just the conflict in general uh, between Muslims, Jews, and Christians, uh, particularly in the Middle East, but in fairness, all around the world, uh, that anything that would be for reducing that conflict and violence, uh, well, then I think we could certainly get behind. In fact, Scripture actually speaks to Christians in this regard, uh, saying that uh, in the book of Romans, when it comes to conflict, that for those who follow Christ, it says, quote, as far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, you are to live at peace with everyone. And so to that end, yes, I would be for peace among the various worldviews. However, if the implication goes from 
you, you could say cooperation to, um, to compromise, uh, to um, saying that we need to compromise uh, what we believe. And in, in this setting, for, for many, it would be your Christian beliefs, compromising uh, what you believe to be truth. Well, then you could say we have a topic to discuss today. And so that's what we're going to do as we conclude uh, this, um, this series, Room for Doubt, where we have been tackling these tough questions and doubts that surround the Christian faith. And we've looked at some tough ones, things like, you know, how do we know God truly even exists? And then if he does exist, like last week we talked about, why then would that God allow, if he's so good, why would he allow tragedy and suffering and evil in the world? Uh, but when it comes to all the topics that we've covered and the ones uh, that could be covered, I would suggest, based, again, more just an informal anecdotal uh, catch on my part, would be that to those who are outside of the Christian faith, and I would suspect even for many of us within the Christian faith, that today's topic is the topic that most has people's attention. Because it is the topic of truth, tolerance, and the exclusive claims of Christ which that when it comes to having a relationship with God, both in this life and for all of eternity in heaven, that the only way to that end is through Jesus Christ. And if we had to um, tie a particular scripture to that understanding where it's most articulated, we could most easily point to actually the words of Jesus himself uh, in John chapter 14. Did I already tell you to turn to to that, John chapter 14? It's been a few services now. I'm starting to lose track. So yeah, John chapter 14. It's, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you that you can certainly use. Uh, but the verse I want to look at before we jump into the whole thing is just verse 6, uh, where Jesus says plainly in regards to this topic today. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. And so it's these words of Jesus and then the implications then thereof that cause us to have these, uh, that doesn't have a word for it, when it comes to the only way to God being Jesus Christ at the exception of all other ways. And so that's how uh, we're going to tackle this topic and this doubt for today. And I will say for me personally, I have wrestled with this topic on several levels. Uh, Personally, in my own faith development, uh, as a pastor, uh, I've wrestled with this theologically. Uh, On a personal level, as I think about my own friends and family that uh, I would say are far from God. And then even most recently on a, you could say, an interpersonal level. Uh, In fact, recently a friend of mine uh, who's been attending the church for about a year, uh, we had lunch and he just told me point blank, you know, I I like attending first, I like the people there, it's been good for me, but when it comes to the claims of Christianity being uh, the only way to heaven and then people of all other world religions spending eternity in hell, I just can't accept that. Uh, Or another friend of mine who uh, would claim to be uh, agnostic, meaning he makes no claim to claim whether or not God exists. We've had the opportunity to talk about many of these topics that we've covered in the Room for Doubt series. But when it comes to, he said, his number one objection to the Christian faith, uh, the number one doubt, that this is the one that most uh, has his attention. And so the question I have is, what about you? Uh, is this a doubt that you personally struggle with? Do you struggle with the idea and the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to an eternal relationship 
with God in heaven? Do you struggle with that? And I would say that if that, if that is something you don't personally struggle with or, or doubt, I would suspect that you may have a struggle to respond to someone who has that doubt. And so I would ask, do you have the ability to respond, as it says in 2 Peter 3.15, to give a reason then for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? It says in Peter, to anyone who would ask, do you have a reason for that hope in Christ alone, for that hope that you have? And so that end, recognizing that this, uh, either, for, again, for you personally or for someone that you might encounter uh, to want to be able to dialogue about that, recognizing this is a difficult conversation, a difficult doubt, uh, shapes our final week, our final topic for this Room for Doubt series. So the way we're going to take this on is actually looking at the skeptic's view and then kind of working our way through that, and that if we could give a key response to the you know, the claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Uh, the skeptic could put it this way, quote, in response, well, since all religions are basically the same, well, then any one of these paths could get you to God. Claiming, in other words, that when you take the world's religions and you just you strip them down to their essentials, they really are basically all saying the same thing. So it doesn't really matter which one you follow. Uh, you could say all spiritual paths eventually lead up the same mountain to God. And then I would add to that, beyond that, something uh, you could claim with that quote is also this, uh, from the skeptic and the, um, the opponent's point of view, if you want to put it that way. Plus, it is narrow-minded and snobbish to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so today, as we aim to understand both the exclusive claims of Christ and the doubts that surround it, we're going to work our way through that doubter's response uh, to gain an understanding uh, for us here today. So with that, let's start with the first half of that first uh, statement there, that since all religions are basically the same. So in response to that, in fairness, we can recognize that there are some commonalities between many of the world's religions, particularly when it does come to certain values and in cases of morality. But know also that there are, at the core, fundamental differences that set them very far apart, and particularly when it comes to Christianity of which we've stated is distinctively uh, Jesus Christ himself saying he is that way. And so how is that way, how is Jesus Christ as the way different then from all other religions of the world? Well, namely, all other major religions are based on people doing something. They're based on people doing something, whether through struggling or striving to somehow earn favor with God. They say that people have to go on pilgrimages or give alms to the poor or avoid you know, eating certain foods or pray in a specified way or go through a, a series of reincarnations, all as these various attempts for people to reach out to God to somehow, hopefully, no guarantee, but to get to God. However, Jesus Christ presents really an opposite understanding and approach to God. And that in Jesus Christ, rather than, you could say, us trying to get to God, to try to reach God, through Jesus Christ, that is God actually reaching out 
to us. Actually, as we just sang earlier, the light of the world reaching out to us. And so really, Jesus actually taught the opposite of what other religions teach. He said, inversely, you actually, ironically, you can't do anything to merit uh, favor with me or to merit heaven. And so really, you can stop trying to do this, trying to earn your way to him. And what he did instead exposed what we all recognize, that we are all actually all guilty of wrongdoing in our life, of which we would agree. Nobody would claim to be perfect here. And so Jesus said, or it says in Scripture, of our wrongdoing, that sin, that, that imperfection, uh, that separates us from a perfect God. As, as Lori said during communion, uh, our unholiness separates us from a holy and perfect God. And because God is fair and a righteous and justice judge, that wrongdoing does have to be paid for. And it says in the Bible that the penalty for that is death. But then, good news. Out of the Father's love for us, um, probably the most famous verse in all Scripture, John three sixteen. out of his love for us, that he so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus, who then, in his life, gave uh, voluntarily, he offered himself up uh, as a substitute. That's a real key word in understanding what God has done for us. He was a substitute to pay that penalty for the sin that we owed. And so that is what we call the gospel or the good news. The good news is is that Jesus Christ offered himself as a substitute that we then simply need to receive his gift. We need to receive that his sacrifice is on our behalf and then we become reunited with God both in this life and for all of eternity. And so to sum up really the separation and the difference between uh, the world religions and Christian, Christianity. You could say that other religions, if you had to spell them, you could spell them spell, uh, are spelled D-O, do, that you have to do something in order to earn your way toward God. However, you could say that Christianity, on the inverse, is spelled D-O-N-E, and that what needs to be done has already been done for you in Jesus Christ. It's already been accomplished on the cross, and it's simply for us then to receive. Um, to illustrate uh, how this difference plays out, there's actually um, a story, uh, a parable in both Christian literature and Buddhist literature that uh, are very similar. They both involve sons who become rebellious, they leave home, uh, but then they see the error in their ways and they come back home in order to be reconciled to their families. Well, in the Buddhist story, uh, the wayward son uh, comes back and is actually required to work off the penalty for his misdeeds by spending 25 years in servitude. Actually, I think it says that he, was, he had the, the task of hauling dung to pay off his dues. However, if you're familiar with uh, the story that Jesus tells, he tells the story of the son coming home, uh, a repentant son uh, who is warmly welcomed. Uh, by his loving father, and immediately giving what we would recognize is undeserved grace and forgiveness. And so that is the difference um, in those stories that recognize what has been done for us versus what uh, other religions say you need to do in order to get to God. Um, With that, there are other fundamental differences um, that I think are worth painting between Christianity and the other world religions that might be helpful. Uh, For instance, uh, Christianity says that there is only one eternal God who created the universe. Uh, Hinduism, on the other hand, would say that that everything is God, that you are God, I'm God, this this podium is even God. 
Um, Islam, uh, as we've painted in other weeks, uh, actually denies that Jesus is the Son of God. They would say he was just a prophet, but which Jesus did not say of himself, but say that Jesus uh, was not God and did not die for our sins. Uh, and when it comes to the Buddha, uh, it's very likely he didn't actually even believe in God at all. And so while we could say religious leaders of the world have said, follow me and I will enlighten you to ways, um, to truths, to find your way to God, Jesus says plainly, I am that light. I'm not going to enlighten you. I am the light. I am the way. And I am the truth to God. And so we see pretty plainly that when it comes to our, our skeptics twofold statement to the first half that, quote, since all religions are basically the same, um, and any one of these paths will get you to God, that the first half, that all religions are the same, clearly we see they are not. Uh, in our do this to gain access to God versus um, this already done for you reality of grace and gift that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Um, it paints a fundamental difference, which would render the whole statement void. But uh, for the sake of the doubt, let's take it, you know, some further explanation or exploration that it could be fair to say uh, that, okay, fine, given the differences... The second half of the statement could still be rendered true, that you could say any one of these, albeit very different paths, will still get you to God. Can not, couldn't any of these paths still be a true way to get to God? And so let's examine that second phrase. Let's look at that. We'll just look at it in isolation, even given the differences, that even though very different, could any one of these, quote, truths still be a true way to get to God? And so uh, in order to do that, I keep pointing at a screen that the words disappeared. That's okay. You all know what they were. Um, so in order to do that, first, uh, we have to look at the subject of truth uh, and ask ourselves, okay, first, okay, what is then truth? What is truth? Well, truth is, and I think we would agree, truth is what is actually real. Truth is what is real. Truth is what actually exists. And therefore, truth does not change then with our beliefs. Truth is not shaped by what we believe on any given day, but instead, our beliefs should be aligned with what we discover to be true. Does that make sense? In fact, in Scripture, it actually says in Zechariah and Thessalonians that we are to be lovers, as lovers of the truth in our pursuit of it. And so for us, for today, when it comes to truth, and namely what we'd claim the truth of Christianity, what we've painted is a very different understanding in Christianity and the world religions with this do versus done for you understanding that Christianity at its core is fundamentally different than any other worldview or religion. And because these two views so contradict one another, they're so completely different that there's no way that these beliefs then can then both be true because of the nature of them being opposite of one of another. And so we have to conclude that at least one of these must be then untrue based on what truth is. And given that, um, also consider it this way. I think we would agree it would be illogical if there is one true God that he would paint many paths, that he, would, that he would go to one side of the world and one group of people and say, hey, look, this is the way to be reconciled to me. 
And then go to another people group and say, actually, here's a completely different way in order to come to know me. That would, I mean, that would make God schizophrenic. That would not make sense. And so, on the inverse, it would make sense, though, that a one true God would make a way. He would make a way, and that he would reveal that uh, in, a, in a dynamic way that we have come to recognize for those who, um, who have come to recognize that through the person, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, as we unpack again these two statements, or this twofold statement, quote, since all religions are basically the same, We've identified they certainly are not, but still can't any one of these paths, these uh, truths still get you to God? We recognize that they can't all be true, that there is only one truth, that God would not do that. That would be illogical. And so even as we intellectually get there, I want to wrap up with that third phrase for us this morning um, that I think is probably the undercurrent why beyond the intellect that really um, gives us the most difficulty, that that if Jesus is the exclusive way to God, the reason it's so hard for people to swallow is really that response is that really if, that's, if, if there's only one way that that uh, would be, quote, narrow-minded or snobbish. Um, and so let's unpack that last one uh, with, you know, honestly, I would have to agree that if uh, there actually were many paths to God and Christians were just saying, hey, our way is the best way, well, that would be snobbish. But again, that's not the claim of Christianity. Again, the Christian faith says what in our discovery of truth, the truth is we have all done wrong. We've sinned against God. Someone has to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing, either us or a substitute. And Jesus Christ, by the virtue of his sinless life and his divinity, is the only one qualified to be our substitute. And so if that is the truth, well, then responding to it is not narrow-minded, but instead, in fact, acting upon the evidence presented in our discovery of what is true. Responding to truth is not a narrow-minded response. It's a logical response to truth. All right, let me illustrate it this way, and just to come up for air some. Um, in our family, we have four children, and anyone who has had subsequent children knows that what you could call like the parent panic meter, it drops uh, with each subsequent child, uh, first-time parent to fourth-time parent. And so, for, uh, and this is, this is probably best illustrated in how we respond to a pacifier that meets contact with the ground. Yes? So, for our first child, you know, oh, pacifier hits the ground, uh, we pick it up, and we put it in the garbage. You know, it's done. Uh, second child, pacifier hits the ground, pick it up, we wash it thoroughly and place it back in the baby's mouth, okay? Third, fourth child, pacifier hits the ground. <sighs> Put it back in the baby's mouth. And so for us, when we had our first child, and we were very much first-time uptight parents, uh, our oldest daughter, our first daughter, she had uh, what was, what's, what's called jaundice, and we had no idea what that, what that was. And so um, uh, basically, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with what that is, it's not that uncommon among babies, but essentially it's a, it's a liver disease that causes uh, the baby's skin to actually turn uh, yellow. Uh, however, um, again, pretty common among newborns. It's something that can be easily treated, uh, and as the pediatrician, 
pediatrician informed us, all we really needed to do was just take our daughter and allow them to put it under these like special lights that will stimulate uh, her liver properly and then everything will be all right. Now, as first time uptight parents, we could have responded, uh, I don't know, that, that just seems too easy. Uh, you know, I mean, this skin thing doesn't look right. You know, maybe if we just took some like lava soap and just scrubbed her real, real good and maybe like dipped her in bleach, you know, I think her normal color would return. To which the doctor would obviously respond, you don't want to do that. Uh, really, there's only one way uh, to handle this. Uh, so then maybe on the inverse, because of first-time parents and our panic, we could just go into complete denial. We could shut down and just be like, okay, we don't want to hear this. We could just pretend everything's okay. Uh, I mean, you know, look at her. She already kind of looks tan, so to put her in your, your little easy-bake baby tanning bed thing just doesn't really add up to us. And honestly, Doc, you know, I've never even heard of this jaundice thing. I, this jaundice thing, that's your truth. It's not my truth. And I'm sure if we just pretend everything's going to be okay, it will be, and so we'll just leave it at that. The pediatrician would respond, you know, you are jeopardizing your baby if you do that. Look, <laughs> there's really only one way to help your little girl, and I understand you're hesitating because, you know, it just seems too easy, but look at my, look at my credentials hanging on the wall. You know, recognize I have helped thousands of babies with this similar thing uh, before you, you need to trust me. Now, naturally, uh, thankfully, we, we did trust what the doctor said without all the make-believe banter that made for a sermon illustration today. But my point is this. Did anyone accuse my wife and I of being narrow-minded for pursuing the only course of treatment that would cure our baby girl? No. Because it is not narrow-minded to respond rationally to evidence that presents truth. It is not narrow-minded to respond rationally to an evidence that concludes and presents ultimate truth. So with that, one more illustration um, that when it comes to the idea of Jesus being the only way uh, to that truth, in any way presents itself then as snobbish or exclusive in a way that is, um, yeah, we'll use the word snobbish. Uh, and and we'll, we'll, do, we'll illustrate this way. Um, let's pretend that there are two country clubs, okay, which you could say sometimes have that reputation in certain, in, certain, in certain aspects. And so let's say that for the first country club, in order to become a member, they only admit you if uh, you are able to obtain uh, a superior type of wisdom, uh, fulfill a list of demands, uh, fulfill certain uh, spiritual requirements, and then even despite your best efforts, uh, you may or may not get in. Some will be excluded. Well, kind of in a silly way, that really is the summation of what uh, the world religions teach in that, again, this D-O, this do understanding of having to earn your way into um, what they are offering. But the second club says, quote, anybody who wants to can come in because Jesus has already paid for your membership rich or poor, educated or uneducated, regardless of your ethnic heritage or where you live, we would love to include you. Entry isn't based on your qualifications, but only on accepting Christ's invitation. He's already D-O-N-E. He's already done everything necessary to secure your admittance. So we'll leave the matter to you. You decide. We will never turn you away. 
if you want to join us. Now, ironically, in this illustration, which country club is being restrictive or snobbish? Don't let the fact that there aren't 20 different ways to get to God stumble you into missing the fact that God did, in fact, make a way. Don't let that stop you from realizing that he made a way for you to get access to him both in this life and for all of eternity. You see, that actually is the hope that Jesus is proclaiming in John 14, 6 and, and, and in the surrounding context, actually, actually in all of Scripture. Because when you read Scripture, you recognize that really, um, and I think this passage has actually been misused in that regard, that um, Jesus is not, uh, and again, all of Scripture, God's not looking for ways to keep people out of his kingdom. He's reminding uh, people of the ways in which he would want them to be in his kingdom. Um, Look at, look at John 14. We're finally getting to the passage that you turned to uh, a little bit ago. Uh, again, to which Jesus is leading. In this context, you've got his disciples. They're, they're actually, they're facing doubts of their own. They're scared. They're terrified. They have, in this setting, they have no idea what is before them in this life or, frankly, for all of eternity. And so to their doubts, Jesus is not trying to show them how to be excluded, but actually included. He says it this way to his disciples. He says, and now to us 2,000 years later, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house, it has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas, in fairness, amidst his doubts, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? To which Jesus responds in inclusion, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And so from now on, because of me, you do know him and you have seen him. And so do you. Do you really know God? At Jesus' invitation, do you really know him both in this life and for all of eternity? Well, then it's only if you know Jesus. If you've accepted him as the true son of God who did come from heaven to earth, God in the flesh, uh, to live, to die for the forgiveness of our sins, who then rose from that dead, uh, that death three days later, so that we too can be given a new life in him. Again, both in this life and for all of eternity. I love the way um, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, puts it. He says, regarding the good news of Jesus Christ, he says, we are just beggars telling other beggars where to find food. Where to find food. And so to that end, um, I invite you to stand with me. As we've had an, It's been a different series than any other series we've ever done around here in that as we've 
maybe even brought up doubts you didn't have because of the series, where we pulled back layers of this onion and tried to put them back together. We want to seal uh, our time and really conclude our series uh, with declaring what it is that we do believe. Or, if you don't, that you're, what you're searching for and striving to accept and to believe. And as we do that, um, I want to invite you to respond to this day, to this series, in one of two ways. Uh, there's going to be some ministry leaders here at the front of the room um, who would be honored to pray with you about any matter. But most specifically today, having had many conversations, that there are people in your life who, are, who you've been praying for, who are on the skeptic side, who, who know not where to find the food uh, from one beggar to another, who have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They still stand on this side of all the steps they may have taken of that final step. Um, or that next most important step to receive Jesus Christ. And so as you've been praying for that person or those people, uh, we would be honored to join with you in prayer. And so there'll be some people up here. We'd be honored to pray with that person for you as we kind of wrap up this series, uh, but recognizing that maybe things aren't, for lack of a better way of painting it, wrapped up um, for them, for you. Uh, But then the second way to respond is maybe that person is you. Uh, Maybe you have uh, been on, I believe, on a journey where God has been taking you through exploration of doubts and struggles and back and forth. And uh, I paint it this way. Um, And again, having friends who are on the other side of faith, uh, not believers, uh, with me being on this side of faith, uh, we've had these conversations how, you know, it's interesting. We actually share a lot of the same doubts and struggles. Um, But the difference is, in the midst of those doubts and struggles, knowing that we'll never get it 100% clear this side of heaven, I have chosen to tip forward. I have chosen in faith to accept the evidence that has been presented and also in faith that God will help me to process the rest rather than say, you know what, until God helps you process it all, I'm going to stay on this side. If you'd be this day willing to take that step of faith and trust God where the intellect cannot go, then I would encourage you to not leave this place having not taken that step of faith and trusting God to go where the intellect cannot go. Uh, Not saying check our brains at the door, but to trust him in the gaps where it cannot go. Then we would invite you as well to come and have that conversation with someone up front. And so if we could be praying for somebody or if we can be praying for you and with you, we'd be honored to pray with you as we back that up with the declaration of what it is that we do step out in faith and believe. And so that end, let's pray, and then we invite you to come forward. Father, we give you thanks right now um, that even amidst the doubts, we step forward in faith, trusting that you did, in fact, give us your son, um, who then gave his life so that we could be given the gift uh, of a new life, both in this life and all for eternity, that's completely different because it's led by you. And so, Father, we pray. Um, as we're going to pray for specifically for names outside of this room, uh, but also for those in this room um, who need to make that decision uh, and trust you. We trust your Holy Spirit uh, to do what only it can do um, in our hearts and in our lives as we declare what we believe in song. In Jesus' name, amen.